president of Hawkins Middle AV Club. What are you doing? Hello, this is Dustin Anderson, secretary and treasurer of Hawkins Middle AV Club. Do you eat kangaroos for breakfast? Hello everyone, I'm your host Ashley and I want to uh, welcome you back to another episode of Through the Hammer Radio Podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed um, last week's episode on uh, the uh, the new episode titles for season four. Um, if you haven't uh, already, I uh, you know, hope you uh, go back and and uh, listen to that one. Um, <clears throat> and uh want to uh, give you some quick updates uh for the podcast um since we're almost like already at almost at the end of november um next week next friday the 26th is like the friday of thanksgiving we will not be having an, uh, an episode that uh friday even though i know like here in america uh thanksgiving is on thursday but you know people are traveling including myself um you know uh, in and out and excuse me um so i'm in the observance of uh the thanksgiving holiday and week um will not be having um an episode of the podcast on the 26th uh we'll be back on december the 3rd and uh that will be you know i'm kind of going to uh start some some cool things for the holidays you know for christmas new year's uh that sort of thing uh in december and uh so i'm really uh really looking forward to that but um for today's episode um i will be uh doing another script reading Uh, this was a request from anna uh who emailed me uh big shout out to anna uh for emailing me uh, her request uh, for a script reading episode, she says she really enjoys them, and asked me if I could uh, record uh, script reading for uh, season one's uh, chapter two, "The Weirdo on Maple Street." Uh, she says that's one of her favorite episodes, not only from season one but from from the series in general. Um, I like the episode as well. And so, I have agreed to uh, oblige Anna's request for um, script reading for uh, Season 1, Chapter 2, The Weirdo on Maple Street. And so, Anna, if you're out there listening, thank you for requesting this. And I hope, excuse me, that I do this justice and that you like it so without further ado going to uh get into stranger things episode uh excuse me season one chapter two the weirdo on maple street uh written by the duffer brothers fade in exterior maple street wheeler home night thunder crashes it's pouring rain Mike, Lucas, Dustin are standing opposite L, who is sitting on the couch, out of breath, frightened. Is there a number we can call for your parents? <laughs> Where's your hair? Do you have cancer? Did you run away? Are you in some kind of trouble? Is that blood? Lucas reaches for L, but Mike slaps his hand away. 
Stop it. You're freaking her out. She's freaking me out. I bet she's deaf. Dustin claps his hands in a surprise move. Hale flinches. Not deaf. All right. That's enough. All right. She's just scared and cold. Mike goes to the laundry room. Thunder makes Elle a little jumpy. Moments later, Mike comes back with clean clothes for Elle. Blue joggers and a sweatshirt. Here, these are clean, okay? Elle cautiously accepts the clothing. She removes her jacket, stands, then begins to take, the, take off the only other thing she is wearing. The yellow shirt she got from Benny. Lucas and Dustin are horrified, covering their eyes and looking away as if they've witnessed something gross. Oh my god, oh my god. No, 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 no. Mike stops L just in time. See, over there, that's the bathroom. Privacy. Get it? Yes. But she says nothing. Still looking rather confused about the whole situation. L gathers the clothes and heads to the bathroom nearby. L walks in. Looking around. Strange looking room. Mike begins to close the door, but Elle stops him. You don't want it closed? No. Oh, so you can speak. Okay, well, um, how about we just keep the door closes until there's a four inch gap? Just like this. Is that better? Yes. Pleased with himself, Mike walks away. Elle's never seen anything like this before. Privacy. Her own bathroom with no one watching. At the bottom of the stairs, Mike, Luke, and Dustin. This is mental. At least she can talk. She said no and yes. Your three-year-old sister says more. She tried to get naked. There's something seriously wrong with her. Like, wrong in the head. Dustin is still, still focused on the naked thing. She just went like pantomimes removing a shirt. I bet she escaped from Penhurst. From where? The nut house in Curly County. You got a lot of family there? Bite me. And he turns to Mike. Seriously though, think about it. That would explain her shaved hair and why she's so crazy. Why she went like pantomiming, removing shirt. She's an escapee is the point. She's probably a psycho. Like Michael Myers. Exactly. Mike rolls his eyes. We should have never brought her here. So you just want to leave her out in that storm? Yes. We went out to find Will. Not another problem. I think we should tell your mom. I second that. Who's crazy now? How's it crazy? Because we weren't supposed to be out tonight, remember? So? So? If I tell my mom, and she tells your mom, and your mom... Oh, man. Our houses become Alcatraz. Exactly. We'll never find Will. Then Dustin pantomimes removing shirt. Alright, so here's the plan. She sleeps here tonight. You're letting a girl? Just listen. In the morning, she sneaks around my house, goes through the front door, and rings my doorbell. My mom will answer and know exactly what to do. She'll send... Or back to Penhurst, or wherever she came from. We'll be totally in the clear. And tomorrow night, we go back out. And this time, we find Will. Dustin and Lucas seem hesitant. But it seems like an idea. 
We cut to the fort in the Wheeler basement later. The boys have set up a makeshift fort for Elle under the table. Sheets cover the table and double woods, walls, and doors for the fort. Mike gives Elle some blankets and pillows. Dustin and Lucas are standing on the stairs halfway up. Do you really think she's a psycho? Wouldn't want her in my house. Lucas walks upstairs. Dustin takes a final look at Mike, making Elle comfortable. Mental. Before following Lucas up the stairs. Hey, um, I never asked your name. Elle pauses a moment before lifting her sleeve. Tattooed on her inside left forearm, inches above her le- her west, her wrist. Zero one one. Is that real? Reaches to touch the tattoo. Elle pulls away, startled. Sorry, I've just never seen a kid with a tattoo before. What's it mean? Eleven. Without speaking, Elle taps her chest twice. That's your name? Elle nods. Eleven. Okay. Um, well, my name's Mike. Short for Michael. Maybe we can call you L. Short for eleven. L seems to like the idea. Um, well, okay. Night, L. Mike stands. Night, Mike. Mike gives a shy smile before covering the fort's entrance with the sheets. Mike walks to the bottom of the stairs, pausing a moment, looking back at the fort. Then, he turns off the lights and walks upstairs. Elle rests her head on the pillow. Her lower lip trembles. Thunder crashes. Lightning flashes. We cut to the opening credits. Exterior, buyer's home, day. At the end of the driveway, a utility worker, male, 50s, is using a bucket truck to inspect a nearby telephone pole. Two vehicles are parked close to the house, Jonathan's and Joyce's. Joyce is sitting at the table, chain-smoking in between bouts of crying. She hasn't slept all night. Jonathan is preparing breakfast. All right, Mom, breakfast is ready. No, no, be careful with the posters. Joyce moves the posters out of the way, and Jonathan sets a plate of food down on the table in front of her. He remains standing. Yeah, okay, all right. I can't eat. I just need you to eat, Mom. Listen, listen. The Xerox place opens in like 30 minutes. Yeah, and I don't want you to go alone. No, I know. I told you. I got it. So I'm going to have Karen take you because I'm going to, I should be here. Okay. We need to make what? 200, 300 copies? How much is a copy? 10 cents if we, 10 cents. Okay, mom, mom. They talk over each other until, mom, mom, you can't get like this, okay? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. There's a knock on the front door. Joyce takes a drag from her cigarette, butts it out, and stands from the table. Joyce opens the door. It's Hopper. We've been waiting six hours. Hopper steps in and closes the door behind him. Yeah, I know. I came as soon as I could. Six hours. A little bit of choice here, alright? We've been searching all night. We went all the way to Cartersville. And nothing. God. Begins to break down. Lo says you got a phone call. Oh, yeah. Motions to phone on the wall. Hopper takes the lead and begins investigating the phone. Storm barbecued this pretty good. 
the storm. What else? Joyce is standing beside Jonathan nearby. You're saying that's not weird? No, it's weird. Can we, like, trace who made the call, contact the... No, it doesn't work like that. Hopper leans against the wall. Now, uh, you're sure it was Will? Because Flo said you just heard some breathing. No, it was him. It was Will, she begins to cry. And he was scared and something. It was probably just a prank call. It was someone trying to scare you. Who would do that? Well, this thing's been on TV. It brings out all the crazies, you know? False leads, pranks, calls. Uh, no, Hopper, it was not a prank. It was him, Joyce. Come on. How about a little trust here? What, you think I'm, I'm making this up? I'm not saying that you're making it up. All I'm saying is that it's an emotional time for you. And you think I don't know my own son's breathing? Wouldn't you know your own daughter's? Hopper says nothing. Joyce realizes what she just said. Daughter. That's a low blow. Hopper turns and walks to the other side of the room. You hear from uh, Lonnie yet? No. Hopper redirects his anger. It's been long enough. I'm having him checked out. Hopper storms out. Oh, come on. You're wasting your time. Hopper gets to his truck. He stops before getting inside. He pops two pills from a pill pottle and, and swallows them. Jonathan's not too far behind. Hey, Hopper. Hopper. Hopper turns to face Jonathan. Hey, let me go. I'm sorry. Hopper takes out his cigarettes, preparing to light one up. To Lonnie's. You know, if Will's there, it means he ran away. And if he sees the cops, he'll think he's in trouble. He'll he'll hide. You know, he's good at hiding. Yeah. Approaches Jonathan and grabs, grasps his arm. Well, cops are good at finding. Okay? Stay here with your mom. She needs you. Hopper gets in his truck and drives away, leaving Jonathan standing in the driveway. Interior Wheeler home. Kitchen. Mike is making Eggos. Three pop up from the toaster. Mike puts one in his jacket pocket and places the other two on a plate. Sitting around the table are Nancy, Mike, Holly, Karen, and Ted. Family breakfast. Mike is rushing, barely taking the time to chew his food. Nancy looks on in disgust. Karen is slightly amused and curious. Slow down, Mike. That's disgusting. You do a lot of studying last night? Yeah, actually, I did. What was your test on again? Human anatomy? Nancy kicks Mike's chair and then shoots him a look. Mike kicks back. Hey, what's going on? Nancy and Mike in unison look at Carol. Nothing, they both say. Elle, still in the fort, is flicking the switches on a radio shack walkie-talkie. We can hear footsteps approach. The sheet opens. Hey, you found my supercom. Pretty cool, huh? I talked my to my friends on it. Mostly Lucas because he lives so close. Signal's pretty weak. <laughs> no response from Elle. Mike reaches into his pocket and pulls out the ego. Got you breakfast. Elle accepts the ego and takes a bite. So listen, this is going to sound a little weird. I just need you to go out there, point to the window, then go to the front door and ring the doorbell. My mom will answer and you'll tell her that you're lost and that you need help. But whatever you do, you can't tell her about last night or what you, or that you know me. 
Understand? No response. Really, it's no big deal. We'll just pretend to meet each other again. And my mom, she'll know who to call. Elle stops chewing. No. Mike wasn't expecting that. No. No. Elle continues eating her ego. No, you don't want my mom to get help? Elle slightly shakes her head. You're in trouble, aren't you? Elle looks away momentarily, her eyes filling with tears. Who? Who are you in trouble with? Bad. Bad. Bad people? Locking eyes with Mike, Elle nods before looking away again. They want to hurt you. The bad people? Elle pantomimes a gun to her head. Then she points the gun at Mike. Understand? Mike stares. Michael, where are you? We're going to be late. Let's go. Alright, I'll be back. Just stay here. Okay? Stay here. Mike stands and pulls the sheet back down, covering the entrance to the fort. Interior, Hawkins Lab, hallway, day. Dr. Martin Brenner, 50s, head of Hawkins Lab, hurriedly rounds a corner, putting on his suit jacket. He's followed closely by two staffers, lead agent, male 50s, and agent Connie Fraser, female 30s. When was this? Last night. Less than two miles away. And the boy checks his watch. Still missing. High-tech communications equipment, mostly used for espionage, fills the room. Brenner, using headphones, is listening to a recent conversation secretly recorded last night. The lead agent and Fraser are next to Brenner. It was my son. I know it. And I heard something else. Something else? I, I don't know. It was like uh, some kind of animal. I don't know. Just please tell Hop to hurry. Exterior. Forested area. Day. A search party. Various ages. Male. Female. Combs the forest looking for clues. Officer Powell and Officer Callahan are amongst the party. Police canine units are also involved with the search. Will! Will Byers! Hopper arrives on scene. Hey, anything? Callahan shakes his head. You? No, nothing but a dead phone. Joyce? About on step from falling off the edge. She's been a few steps for a while now, hasn't she? Kid's missing, man. Show a little class. Hopper walks away. He's talking to the volunteers. All right, come on, let's go. We got a lot of ground to cover. Callahan to Powell. The chief and her, they've screwed before, huh? Powell gives a sly smile and joins the party. Will! Is that a yeah, or did they... The cut to Hawkins, the exterior of Hawkins High School of the day. Several dozen students, various high school ages, are arriving to start the school day. Barbara Holland, 17, is walking with Nancy, quizzing her for an upcoming test. Barb is reading from prepared cue cards. When alpha particles go through gold foil, they become unoccupied space. Next card. A molecule that can hallway, excuse me, hallway intersection. Steve Harrington interrupts the pop quiz, taking Barb's cue cards. Hey! With Steve are his friends Tommy, age 17, and Tommy's girlfriend, Carol, 17. I don't know. I think you've studied enough, Nance. Steve! 
I'm telling you, you know, you got more, you got this. Don't worry. Now on to more important matters. Puts the cue cards in his back pocket. My dad has left town at a conference, and my mom's going with him because, you know, she doesn't trust him. Good call. So are you in? In for what? No parents? Big house? A party? Ding, ding, ding. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Oh, my God. Says Tommy H. mocking condescendingly, chuckling. Come on. It'll be low-key. It'll be just us. What do you... Are you in or are you out? Nancy is considering it. But before she can say anything... Oh, God, look. She, Tommy, Steve, Nancy, and Barb all turned to see what Carol was pointing out. Steve, indifferent. Oh, God, that's depressing. Jonathan is pinning posters to the bulletin board. Should we say something? I don't think he speaks. How much you want to bet he killed him? Shut up. Nancy decides to say something. She walks over to Jonathan. Jonathan uses available pushpins to finish attaching the poster to the to the board. It gives the description of Will. Under the tag, have you seen me? Will Byers, age 12, 4 feet, 9 inches tall, brown hair, brown eyes, 73 pounds, last seen wearing jeans, blue plaid shirt, white t-shirt, red down vest, with tan stripe, carrying black canvas, a day bag. Any information, call Joyce Byers, 555-0141. Nancy cautiously approaches. Hey. Oh, hey. I just, I wanted to say, you know, um, I'm sorry about everything. Carol, Tommy, Steve, and Barb are watching. They're standing about 20 feet away. Save for Barb. They all look bored and uninterested. Jonathan looks over at the group with doubt of their sincerity. Everyone's thinking about you. Jonathan says nothing. It sucks. I was like, no kidding. Yeah. There's an awkward silence then. I'm sure he's fine. He's a smart kid. School bell rings. I have to go. <laughs> Chemistry test. Yeah. Good luck. Thanks. Nancy joins her friends. Jonathan continues at the bulletin board, ensuring the poster is secured properly. Just then, the school's PA system engages. It's the principal. Attention, faculty and students. At 8 p.m. tonight, there will be an assembly on the football field in support of Will Byers and his family. Jonathan doesn't stick around to hear it. He quickly leaves the school. All are encouraged to attend. Volunteer signups for search parties are still available in the office. Interior, Hawkins Middle School, Mr. Clark's class day. Lucas and Dustin take their seat at the front of the class. Mr. Clark is going from desk the desk handing out today's assignment. Students, male and female, 12 to 13, are taking their seats. Mike, though, is not there. Oh, this is weird. He's never this late. I'm telling you, his stupid plan his stupid plan failed. Thought you liked his plan. Yeah, but obviously it was stupid, or he'd be here. If his mom found out a girl spent the night, he's in deep shit right now. Hey, what if she slept naked? Lucas rolls his eyes. Oh my gosh, she didn't. Oh, if Mr. if Mrs. Willer tells my parents, no way. Mike would never rat us out like that. I don't know. All that matters is after school, the freak will be back in the loony bin 
and where we can focus on what really matters. Finding Will. Back at the Wheeler home. Mrs. Wheeler and Holly are in the Wheeler wagon just driving away. As the wagon leaves frame, Mike is seen riding his bike. Interior Wheeler home. Hallway. Mike and Elle come up from the basement. They're walking to the kitchen. You want anything to drink? We have OJ, skim milk. What else? Elle stops at the living room, adjacent to the kitchen. The first thing she sees is the television. Mike joins her standing at the TV. Oh, this is my living room. It's mostly just for watching TV. Nice, right? Really excited when talking to her. It's a 2020, excuse me, it's a 22-inch. That's like 10 times bigger than Dustin's. Not so interested, Elle walks away and continues checking out the rest of the living room. On the fireplace, mantel are family photos. Elle walks up the mantel to take a closer look. Photos, various sizes framed. Mike and Nancy's school picture. Professionally taken photo of Holly, six-month-old. Family photo, another of Holly, one-year-old. Elle smiling at Nancy's pretty. Nancy's picture. Pretty. Mike's like, ew, gross. I guess that's my sister Nancy. Elle continues to take a closer look at the photos. And that's baby Holly. And those are my parents. What are your parents like? No answer. Do they live close? Elle walks to the lazy boy. Elle takes a closer look, feeling the fabric. That's her lazy boy. <laughs> that's where my dad sleeps. You could try it if you want. Elle looks for encouragement as she slows, slowly steps around to the front of the chair. Yeah. She slowly sits, sits down in the big comfy chair. Mike kneels beside her. It's fun. Mike reaches for the arm on the side. Just trust me, okay? Cautiously, Elle nods, giving Mike the okay to flap. Mike pulls back the arm and the lazy boy engages its super comfortable position, flap. The seat back is on a 20-degree angle, and the foot rests out. Mike chuckles, and Elle laughs nervously. <laughs> See? Fun, right? Mike sets the chair back to the sitting position. Now you try. Elle reaches for the arm, and flap. The lazy boy opens and rocks back and forth to the fully extended position. The two kids share a laugh. Exterior country road of the day. Jonathan, driving his 1971 Ford Galaxy 500. He's listening to hard rock music. Jonathan is staring blankly at the road ahead. The music changes to Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. Jonathan's attention is immediately drawn to the radio. Memories come flooding back. Enter a flashback, interior, buyer's home, Jonathan's room, some time ago. Should I stay or should I go continues to play. Will and Jonathan are listening to a cassette tape of the clash on Jonathan's stereo. They're sitting on the edge of the bed and bopping their heads to the beat. Do you like it? Yeah, it's cool. Alright, you want it? You can keep the mix if you want. Really? Yeah, really. All the best stuff's on there. Joy Division, Bowie, Television, The Smiths. It'll totally change your life. Yeah, totally. The music continues, but the fun stops the moment Jonathan and Will overhear Joyce in the other room on the telephone. Where the hell are you, Lonnie? 
I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Will's happiness quickly turns to concern. This is ridiculous. I'm so sick of your excuses. Jonathan goes over to the door and shuts it before returning to Will's side. Jonathan turns down the volume and stereo. He's not coming, is he? Do you even like baseball? No, but I don't know. It's fun to go with him sometimes. Come on, has he ever done anything with you that you actually like? You know, like the arcade or something? I don't know. Will's too nice of a boy. Too sensitive and kind to say anything negative or bad about anyone. No, alright. He hasn't. He's trying to force you to like normal things. And you shouldn't like things because people tell you you're supposed to. Okay? Especially not him. Will nods. Jonathan changes the atmosphere by going back to talking music. But you like the clash. For real? Will's bright smile returns. For real. Definitely. Jonathan cranks the volume. We cut to the present day at Country Road. We see Jonathan's car drive past the sign. Leaving Hawkins. Come again soon. Exterior downtown Hawkins. A bell tolls. We see Joyce driving her 1974 Pinto. She pulls into an empty parking space in front of Melvald's General Store, her workplace. The store is busy with Christmas shoppers. Joyce comes in. She's rushing. Donald Melvald, 60s, her boss, follows closely behind. Joyce, I wasn't expecting you today. I brought Jeffrey in to cover. I, I'm not here to work. The, the storm last night, she's so preoccupied she doesn't know where to look. She stops and faces Mr. Melvald. I need a new phone. Mr. Melvald rings in Joyce's purchase. He's on one side of the counter, Joyce on the other, like a real customer. Okay, that looks like $72.56. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I gave Jonathan all my money for uh, copies for the posters. Uh, I need it in advance. Mr. Melvald is a softy. Yes, of course. Thank you. Mr. Melvald takes out his checkbook and begins writing. George sheepishly takes a look. Uh, yeah, I was thinking two weeks. Mr. Melvoin enjoys lock eyes for a moment. An awkward moment. Yes, I understand, but you know I have to pay Jeffrey for covering. Donald, I've been here ten years, right? Have I ever called in sick or missed a shift once? The guilt trip is working on Mr. Melvoin. He hangs his hand, not wanting... He hangs his head, not wanting to make eye contact with Joyce. I've worked uh, Christmas Eve and Thanksgiving. I don't know where my boy is. I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. If he's hurt, Joyce com composes herself before continuing. I uh, need this phone in two weeks advance. Mr. Melvone acquiesces and writes a new paycheck for Joyce and a pack of camels. Buyer's home front door a man 30s dressed as a repairman for hawkins power and light knocks on the front door he's carrying a clipboard there's no answer at the door so the man looks through the window no movement he raises a walkie-talkie to his mouth we're all clear copy that camera pans to reveal a white surface van belonging to hawkins power and light parked in the driveway the utilities logo on the side of the van adding to its authenticity. The side door slides open. An agent, male 30s, wearing white boots and a white chem suit, hops out. 
We only see the agent's feet and legs. A second agent hops out. Then a third. They, too, are dressed in white boots and chem suits. And then a fourth man steps out of the van. Camera tilts up to reveal Dr. Brenner. He, too, is dressed in white boots and chem suit. Brenner is carrying a black equipment case. Three agents are carefully walking through the yard, following the signal from their electronic scanners. An agent moves closer to the shed. He cautiously opens the door and moves and steps in. As the agent move, makes his way deeper into the shed, we can hear the scanners beeping getting louder. He turns to his right. The signal gets even louder. Walking towards the camera, we see that the agent is actually Dr. Brenner. He's found something. It's oozing down the wall of the shed. Another agent stands behind Brenner. Brenner exclaims, Extraordinary. Interior Wheeler Home, Mike's room. Mike and L are kneeled in front of a table full of toys. Mike slams down a two-inch Yoda figurine. Ready, are you? What knows you of ready? L, of course, is mildly amused and confused. His name's Yoda. He can use the force to move things with his mind, like this. Pushes all the toys off the table. L stands and walks over to a nearby bookshelf. Mike stays behind the table. He picks up Rory, a dinosaur. Oh, this is my dinosaur, Rory. Look, he has a speaker in his mouth so he can roar. Rory roars. Elle isn't interested. She's more focused on the bookshelf and Mike's trophies. Mike puts Rory down and joins Elle at the bookshelf. Oh, these are all my science fair trophies. We got first every year, except for last year when we got third. Cameron pants for a trophy. Hawkins Middle School team problem-solving champions. Mr. Clark said it was totally political. Camera pans to a photograph taken at the science fair. Mike, Will, Lucas, and Dustin holding a large first-place trophy for their project, Volcanic Eruption. Elle's entire demeanor changes when she sees Will. Her lower lip trembles. She stares through the picture. Mike senses something is wrong. Elle points to Will in the picture. You know Will? Did you see him last night on the road? Rapid-fire questions, not giving Elle a chance to answer. Not that she could anyway. Her gaze still locked on the photo. The sound of the vehicle pulling in the driveway draws their attention away. Mike rushes over to the window. Karen's back. She's pulling into the driveway in the Wheeler wagon. We gotta go. Mike grabs Elle by the wrist, and they quickly rush out of the room. Mike and Elle rush down the stairs. Too late. Karen is already coming through the front door carrying Holly in her right arm and a paper bag of groceries in the other. Karen skillfully closes the door behind her without dropping her cargo. Karen says to Holly, I bought pizza and macaroni. Okay. Mike and Elle turn and run back up the stairs. Karen hears the stomping. Ted, is that you? No one is supposed to be home, not even Ted. Still dragging L by the wrist and rushing back to his room, Mike answers. Just me, Mom. Mike, what are you doing home? One second. He and L rush through the door. Mike quickly closes the door behind him. L is expressionless, but clearly scared. 
Mike opens the closet door. In here. I'll be right back, okay? Elle doesn't budge. Please, you have to get in, or my mom, she'll find you. Do you understand? Elle stares blankly. I won't tell her about you. I promise. Elle doesn't know the word. Promise? It means something that you can't break, ever. Michael? Please. Nervously step looking to Mike, then to the closet space. Elle gives in. She steps into the closet. The door closes. It's dark. Elle's breathing becomes rapid and shallow. She takes a step back. Looking around, she closes her eyes. We cut to interior Hawkins lab, basement hallway, some time ago. Two orderlies, male 30s, are forcefully carrying Elle, one on each arm, to an isolation cell. Punishment. Elle, wearing only a hospital gown, is struggling. But she is no match for Brenner's enforcers. Her feet aren't even touching the ground. Papa! She crawls out. She ca- she cries out to Doctor Brenner. But on his very, on but on his very own order is why she's going to lock up. From a distance, Brenner supervises the incarceration, but neither says anything. Elle's still screaming and sobbing. Papa! The orderlies do their job without emotion. No! Papa! The two orderlies literally throw Elle inside the isolation cell. The cell is smaller to that of a jail cell. Except this cell is smaller. Six square feet. No windows, no toilet, no bed. The solid steel door doesn't have a window. The walls are painted mud brown. Elle falls to the ground as she is tossed inside like a piece of garbage. The door slams, locks. There is no handle on the inside. No way to even try to unlock the door. Elle rushes the door to the door, banging on it with an open palm. Papa! Two hands banging. She's sobbing, screaming. Papa! Papa! It's no use. Elle walks through the back of a small room and cowers in the corner, sobbing. It's dark. We cut to the Wheeler home living room present day. Mike's sitting on the couch along with Karen. Her arms are crossed. I just, I don't feel good. I woke up in my head. It really hurt bad and, and my throat was all scratchy. And I wanted to tell you, but the last time I told you I was sick, you made me to go to school anyway. And Michael, yeah? I'm not mad at you. No? No, of course not. All this has been going on with Will. I can't imagine what it's been like for you. And just, I want you to feel like you can talk to me. I never want you to feel like you have to hide anything from me. I'm here for you, okay? Mike nods. Thud. It's coming from upstairs. Is there someone else here? No. Mike quickly goes to his room and quickly opens the door, comes in, then closes the door behind him and locks it. Eleven, is everything okay? He rushes over to the closet. L. He opens the door. L is cowering, crying. Mike, is everything okay? Clearly not, but she nods anyway. You sure? L puts on a brave face and with a slight smile. Promise. 
interior buyer's home dining room. Joyce is sitting at the dining room table, opening the box with a new phone. It's not a wall phone like the other one. It's a tabletop phone. Beige. Joyce plugs the phone cord in. She checks to make sure it works. Dial tone. She walks through the living room with the phone. But the cord is too short. Not even enough slack. She reaches for the easy chair. Pulls it closer. Sits. Then scoots closer while still sitting towards the wall. The phone is on her lap. Now she waits. Exterior. Sattler Quarry. The search party is at Sattler Quarry. While Powell leads the volunteers, Hopper and Callahan are close to the edge of the cliff talking. Callahan creeps closer to the edge and looks down. Whoa, whoa. I need you alive for the next few days at least. We can hear volunteers calling Will's name. Oh, hell, I can survive that. Hopper gives a, <laughs> yeah, whatever laugh. What? George Bornes made the jump. And he was drunk as a skunk. He did it on a $10 bet. George is a liar. You made that jump from this height. That water turns into cement. Slaps the sand together. Hits you like a ton of bricks. Break every damn bone in your body. Callahan thinks about it for a moment. Nah. Hopper's walkie-talkie comes alive. Chief, you copy? It's Flo. Hopper grabs his walkie from his utility belt. Yeah, Flo, talk to me. Hey, Chief, we got a call from over at Benny's. I think you need to go over there right away. Exterior Benny's Burgers. Powell steps out of his squad car and heads to the entrance of Billy's. Of Benny's. The scene is busy with paramedics, firefighters, and police. Hopper arrives and steps out of his truck. He, Powell, and Callahan head for the door. Hopper enters first, followed by Callahan, then Powell. They immediately see Benny's body at a table. He is hunched over, head resting on the table, dried blood coming from a bullet wound in his right temple. Billy's right hand rests on a black revolver, his index finger on the trigger. Flies are buzzing around his corn, his corpse. Ah, oh, Jesus. Callahan exclaims at the smell. Hopper walks around to the other side of the table, but keeps his distance. He knows this is his good friend Billy. Benny. Sorry. He stares in disbelief and anger. Suicide? Mm-hmm. Hopper is skeptical, but murmurs just for the sake of it. Missing kid, suicide? You must feel like a big city cop again, huh, Chief? Well, I mostly uh, dealt with strangers back then. Benny was my friend. Exterior, Indianapolis, Suburban Street. A residential street in the suburbs of Indianapolis. We see Jonathan's 71 Ford slowly driving towards the camera. Jonathan is looking for Lonnie's place. Jonathan's car comes to a stop. He steps out and makes his way to the house. Jonathan takes a look through the window and the door. We can hear the television. We can see lights are on in the living room. Jonathan pounds on the door. Hello? Jonathan continues to pound on the door. Through the window, we can see Cynthia, early 20s, Lonnie's hot girlfriend, storm out of the kitchen. And she's not too pleased to be to have company. She opens the door. Can I help you? Yeah, is Lonnie around? Yeah, he's out back. What do you want? Jonathan walks in past Cynthia. To look around, Jonathan brushes past Cynthia 
and continues to the living room. Hey, what do you think you're going? You're doing? I'll be fast. Hey, Will. He goes from room to room. Hey, Will. Will, are you here? Will. Jonathan is continuing looking around the house, but he can't find Will. And just then, Lonnie Byers, 40, shoves Jonathan into the wall. Jonathan easily pushes Lonnie off. Get off! They're facing each other three feet apart. Damn, you've gotten stronger. Would someone please explain what the hell is going on? Jonathan, Cynthia. Cynthia, this is Jonathan, my oldest. Cynthia's look softens. Come here. Lonnie hugs Jonathan. Get off me, man. Exterior, Wheeler House, driveway, day. Lucas and Dustin, on their bicycle, roll up to Mike's place. They drive by, without even seeing a man, 30s, wearing a Hawkins Power and Light uniform inside the Wheeler's mailbox at the end of the driveway. Lucas and Dustin shut the door behind them. They stare at Elle, who's sitting cross-legged on Mike's bed. Are you out of your mind? Just listen to me. You are out of your mind. She knows about Will. What do you mean she knows about Will? Mike walks to the bookshelf and picks up the size for every photo. He's holding the picture. She pointed at him. At this picture. She knew he was missing. I could tell. You could tell? Just think about it. Do you really think it was coincidence that we found her on Markwood? The same place where Will disappeared? That is weird. And she said bad people are after her. I think maybe these bad people are the same ones that took Will. Then she knows what happened to her. Lucas is still skeptical. Then why didn't she tell us? Frustrated, Lucas confronts Elle. Do you know where he is? Lucas grabs Elle by the shoulders. They're only inches apart. Do you know where Will is? Stop it, you're scaring her. She should be scared. If you know where he is, tell us. Elle is starting to cry. Lucas walks to Mike. This is nuts. We have to take her to your mom. No. Eleven said telling... Any adult would put us in danger. What kind of danger? Her name is Eleven? L for short. Mike, what kind of danger? Danger, danger. Mike points a finger pistol between Dustin's eyes and does the same to Lucas. Lucas bats Mike's hand away. No, no, no. We're going back to plan A. We're telling your mom. Lucas rushes for the door. It slams shut. Lucas, Lucas opens it. It slams shut. The lock engages. The boys turn in unison and look at Elle. She's standing. Blood drips from her left nostril. Elle, serious with conviction. No. Exterior in Lonnie's house, backyard. Lonnie is showing off his old 442 muscle car to Jonathan. It's parked on the grass. Take a look at this butte. Shouldn't have seen it when I got it. Took me a year, but it's almost done. Jonathan's more interested in what's in the trunk. He checks. Really? You want to check up my ass, too? Jonathan closes the trunk. I told you the same thing as I told those cops. He, he's not here, and he never has been. Jonathan approaches Lonnie. Then why didn't you call Mom back? I don't know. I just... Assume she got forgot where he was. You know, it was also something. That boy was never really good at taking care of himself. This isn't some joke, alright? 
There are search parties, reporters. Hopper's not still chief, is he? Jonathan says nothing. Lonnie shakes his head in disgust. Tell your mother she's got to get you out of that hellhole. Come out here to the city. People are more real here, you know? Then I can see you more. Yeah, right. Jonathan shakes his head. What, you think I don't want to see you? I know you don't. See, that's your mother talking right there. She even know you're, ha you're here? No response. Oh, great. So one kid goes missing and the other one runs wild. Some real fine parenting right there. Look, all I'm saying is, maybe I'm not the asshole, alright? Jonathan takes a poster out from his satchel and presses it to Lonnie's chest. Jonathan as he's walking away. In case you forgot what he looks like. Jonathan looks at the poster. It's folded. The photos of Will, of Will are facing up. Cynthia walks up behind Lonnie. She puts her arms around him. Referring to Jonathan. It's kind of cute, huh? Maybe I'll trade you in for the younger model. Interior Hawkins Police Officer's Desk. Hopper and Callahan are chatting with chatting with Earl, 50s. Callahan is sitting, casually-like, on the edge of a nearby desk. Hopper is sitting in a chair opposite Earl, who is sitting on a padded bench along the wall. Earl struggles to light a cigarette. This doesn't make sense, Chief. Hopper uses his own lighter to light Earl's smoke. You, uh, notice anything odd about him in the last few weeks? No. We were fixing to go fishing... Down the Etowah next Sunday. I mean, he was looking forward to it. I know that. You got any enemies you might know about? I mean, people who might not want him around. The exes didn't like him much, that's for sure, but no. When was the last time you saw him? Yesterday. Lunch. Same as always. Just you and the boys. Yep, me and Henry and, well, there's this kid. No kid did this. Kid? What are you talking about? Yeah, at lunch, there was this boy that, uh, I mean, he was trying to steal food out of Bennett's kitchen. Can you imagine that? Hopper looks to Callahan. Callahan stands from the desk and walks over to his own desk. This kid, what do he look like? Still sitting on the bench, Earl raises his arm about eye level. Well, he's about uh, yay high, you know, tiny-like. I didn't get a look at him, though. He was back in the kitchen. Callahan returns with a missing poster, person's poster of Will Byers. Do you look like this? No, no, that's Lonnie's missing kid. This one had really short hair. I mean, it was buzzed nearly down to the scalp. Yeah, well, let's, you know, let's forget about the haircut. I mean, if... I mean, if this kid has a buzz cut, could it be Lonnie's kid? Well, I didn't get a good look at him. About the right height, though. I mean, could have been. Yeah, that's... Could have been. Hopper nods. But, for, but more for the sake of nodding rather than agreeing with Earl. Neither man is convinced. Interior Wheeler home, Nancy's bedroom. Nancy is on her bed, lying on her back, playing with her hair and talking to, on the telephone to Barb. Music is playing on the radio. Because I don't want to go by myself. Barb. Barb, it's not rocket science. You just tell your parents you're going to stay at my place afterwards. No, tell them we're studying. 
here in front of the kitchen. Nancy, dinner! Coming! Look, I gotta go. I'll see you in an hour. With a smile, Nancy hangs up. Singing around the dinner table. Clockwise from six. Karen. Holly in a high chair. Nancy, Mike, Dustin, Lucas, and Teddy Wheeler. Dinner conversation is null. Mike, Dustin, and Lucas seem preoccupied. Lost in thought. Lucas, with a fork stuck in a piece of meatloaf on his plate, looks disinterested. Something wrong with the meatloaf? Uh, no, I had two bologna sandwiches for lunch. I don't know why. Yeah, me too. Nancy trying to score bonus points. It's delicious, Mommy. Thank you, sweetie. So there's this special assembly thing tonight for Will at the school field. Barb's driving. Why am I just near... Why am I just hearing about this? I thought you knew. I told you I don't want you out after dark until Will is found. I know, I know, but it'd be super weird if I'm not going, if I'm not there. I mean, everyone's going. Karen sighs and relents. Just be about by 10. Why don't you take the boys, too? Micah's Luke, Dustin. No! Mike casually takes a sip from his glass of milk. Don't you think you should be there for Will? Just then, behind Karen, walking down the stairs is Elle. Mike sees Elle, then spits out his milk. Karen turns to see what's behind her. Dustin pounds on the table twice. Dishes clatter. Forks and knives come alive in a cacophony of racket. Startled, Karen turns back to Dustin. Sorry, spasm. Mike looks at the mess he's made. Lucas looks to Mike and Dustin. What do we do now? Holly is spooked. She slashes in her chair and is about to cry. It's okay, Holly. It's just a loud noise. Nancy scolding the boys. Nice. Exterior Benny's Burgers. The search party has moved to the immediate forested area around Benny's Burgers. Police and volunteers with flashlights call out Will's name. Canine units of volunteers with dogs join the search. Hopper, Callahan, and Powell are flashlights in hand, combing the forest and discussing theories. Hey, you think Earl really saw Will? I mean, what's he doing with a shaved head? And stealing food from Benny. They stop walking. Tell you what, when we find him, we'll ask. You can't ask a corpse a question. Hopper and Callahan shoot Powell a look. Just then, a marine whistle blows. Hold up! Whistle buzz again. You got something? Mr. Clark is crouching beside a drainage pipe, buried, but running parallel with the ground and with no gate covering the opening. Mr. Clark's flashlight pointing to a piece of white torn cloth in his hand. Hopper arrives and crouches down beside Mr. Clark. Hey, what do you got? Not sure. Maybe nothing. I found this in there. Motions to the drain pipe. Mr. Hart. Clark hands Hopper the evidence. The pipe has a diameter of 12 inches. Hopper shines his light. The pipe leads somewhere, but Hopper cannot see the end. No way a kid crawls through there. I don't know. Scare enough one might. His brother said he was good at hiding. With Hopper leading the way, Callahan, Powell, and the search party follow the buried pipe. The team comes to a full stop about 50 yards from where Mr. Clark found the clue. They can't go any farther. Blocked by a 10-foot-high chain-link fence. Barbed wire runs along the top. 
A sign attached to the fence indicates the property belongs to Hawkins National Laboratory, U.S. Department of Energy. On that sign, another restricted area. No trespassing. Interior, Wheeler Home. Elle is sitting comfortably in the makeshift bedroom. She is flicking switches on the radio shack walkie-talkie. Mike comes down the stairs carrying a tray of food. Elle? Dustin and Lucas are behind him. Mike walks over to Elle and sits down in front of her with the tray. No adults, just us and some meatloaf. Elle saying nothing but looks up at Dustin and Lucas. She's wary of them, but Mike tries to reassure Elle. Don't worry, they won't tell anyone about you. They promise, right? We would never... We never would have upset you if we knew you had superpowers. Mike smacks Dustin. How? What Dustin is trying to say is that we were just scared earlier. That's all. We just wanted to fire our friend. Friend? Yeah, friend. Will? What is friend? Is she serious? Dustin shrugs. Um, a friend is someone... Someone that you do anything for. You lend them your cool stuff, like comic books and trading cards. And they never break a promise. Especially when they're spit. Spit? Spit. Swear means spits in his hand. You never break your word. Shakes Dustin's hand. It's a bond. Dustin looks at his hand, grossed out. That's super important, because friends, they tell each other things. Things that parents don't know. Elle says nothing but seems suspicious about this whole friends thing. Exterior forest is street night. Barb and Nancy are on their way to Steve's party. Barb is driving. Barbara, pull over. What? Pull over. She does and puts the car in park. What are we doing here? His house is three blocks away. We can't park in the driveway. Are you serious? Yeah, the neighbors might see. This is so stupid. I'm just going to drop you off. Calm down, Barb. Come on. You promised that you'd go. You're coming. We're going to have a great time. He just wants to get in your pants. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Nance, seriously. He invited you to his house. His parents are home. Come on. You're not this stupid. Nancy starts taking off her sweater. She's changing. Tommy H. and Carol are going to be there. Tommy and Carol have been having sex since, like, the seventh grade. It'll probably be just, like, a big orgy. Gross. I'm serious. Alright, well, you can be like my guardian. Alright, make sure I don't get drunk and do anything stupid. Nancy is topless for her bra. Is that a new bra? Yes, she wore it for Steve. No. Nancy and Barb walk up to the front door. We can hear music blasting from the end of the driveway. Nancy rings the doorbell. Barb looks nervous. Barb, chill. Nancy, however, is, is as chill as a cucumber. I'm chill. The double doors swing open. The song Raise a Little Hell by Trooper plays loudly. Hello, ladies. Interior hop Hopper's cabin bedroom. Hopper is lying awake in bed. Beside him, Sandra, late 20s, his girlfriend. She's, she's sound asleep. Hopper sits up on the edge of bed and puts his pants on. Hopper goes to the back deck. It's peaceful. Crickets chirp. A loon calls. Hopper is standing on his deck with a can of beer. Staring off into the distance, deep in thought. Moments later, Sandra joins him. She's wearing one of Hopper's flannel shirts. What are you doing? It's freezing. You ever feel cursed? 
you know, the last person to go missing here was in uh, the summer of 23. The last suicide was the fall of 61. When, when the last person frees to death, realizes he's serious. Hey, come back inside. Warm me up. Just give me a minute out here. Sandra sighs but leaves Hopper B. Interior, Wheeler Basement. L sits down at the table where the D&D board is. It's not game ready, but there are six miniatures in the board surface. Elle's focus is on those. What's the weirdo doing? Elle places the palm of her hands on the board. She closes her eyes. Mike, Dustin, and Lucas move forward. Elle? After a beat, Elle opens her eyes. She reaches down and picks up the wizarding miniature. She holds it close to her face, inspecting it. Will. Superpowers. Lucas rolls his eyes. Mike sits down in the chair next to L. Did you see him on Markwood? Do you know where he is? Using her arm, L sweeps the board clear of the miniatures. They fall to the floor. She flips the board upside down. Its surface is black. L takes the wizard, representing Will, and puts it at the center of the, of the upside down board. I don't understand. Hiding. Will is hiding. L nods. From the bad man? L shakes her head. Then from who? L places a different miniature on the board. The Demogorgon. Exterior Merkwood night. Police tape and barricades remain in place. But the scene is abandoned. Jonathan's car pulls up. He gets out. Opens the trunk and takes out his 35mm camera. He closes the trunk and, and then crosses the barricades onto Merkwood. Like a forensic photographer, Jonathan start ta starts taking pictures around the area where Will mi went missing. The flash fires. Where are you? Another photo. The flash fires. Jonathan takes a few steps in another direction, crouches, snaps another picture. The flash fires. Suddenly, a female scream. It's close by. Jonathan runs towards the sound. Jonathan stops just short of the, of the threshold. The screen belongs to Carol, Tommy H.'s girlfriend. He's trying to throw Carol in the pool. Music is playing. The backyard is massive. There's large in-ground pool. Upon the surrounding pool deck are lawn chairs and other patio furniture. Tommy is trying to throw Carol into the pool. He's got her in his arms. He's laughing. No, Tommy, stop it. Tommy puts her down. You're such an asshole, Tommy. Barb is sitting in a lawn chair, away from the action. Nancy is sitting, too, but closer to Steve than she is to Barb. Nancy gra Steve grabs a can of beer from the cooler. Using a knife, he punches a hole inside the can, then shotguns it. Nancy watches, amused. Steve flops down on a lawn chair, drunk. He prepares to light a cigarette. That's supposed to impress me? You're not? You are a cliche. You do realize that. You're a cliche. What, with your grades and your band practice? Lights a cigarette. <laughs> I'm so not in band. Okay, party girl. Hands on the knife. Why don't you just show us how it's done then? Okay. She takes a knife from Steve. Jonathan is watching what's going on. From his vantage point, he can see most of the backyard. 
Nancy is preparing the beer can. You gotta make a hole right in the... I got it. Yeah, she's smart, you douche. Tommy crushes an empty beer can against his head and drops it on the pool deck. Nancy starts chugging the beer. Shotgunning. Chug, chug, chug. Tommy and Carol join Steve's chances, chance of encouragement. Chug, 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 chug. Chants get louder as Nancy nears the end. Then finally, Nancy drops the empty, empty can on the deck. They all cheer, except for Barb. Barb, you want to try? What? No. Nancy grabs a beer for Barb. No, I don't want to. Thanks. Come on. Nancy approaches Barb with a beer. Yeah. Nance, I don't want to. It's fun. Just give it a... Nance! Just, just give it a shot. Nancy gives Barb the beer and the knife. Barb, I'm enthusiastic. Okay. With the knife in one hand, the beer can in the other... Barb tries cutting a hole inside the can. The knife slips. Barb cuts a deep gash in her right thumb. It's bleeding. Barb gasps. Gnarly. Are you okay? Yeah. Barb, you're bleeding. I'm fine. Looks at Steve. Where's your bathroom? Oh, it's uh down the kitchen. Down past the kitchen. To the left. Jonathan snaps pictures. Without the flash. Carol is having a chuckle. And Tommy takes this opportunity to push an unexpected Carol fully clothed into the pool. Splashdown. Carol screams. Tommy, feeling very proud of himself, takes a few more drags from his cigarette. He throws the butt on the ground and jumps into the pool. Steve comes up to Nancy from behind and pushes her into the pool. Then Steve jumps into the pool. The couple's playfully roughhouse in the water. With a hint of jealousy, Jonathan continues to snap pictures. At the buyer's home, dining room. Joyce has fallen asleep on the chair. Phone still on her lap. The house is dark. Several seconds of silence is suddenly broken. Phone rings. Joyce jolts awake and answers. Hello? There's no response. Joyce stands, grabbing the receiver with both hands. Hello? Muffled breathing and static. Who is this? She's whimpering. Will? Static. More whimpering. Will? The voice is barely audible. Static. Strained breathing. Will, it's me. Talk to me. I'm here. Just tell me where you are, honey. I can hear you. Please. Static. Then, Mom? The lights flicker, then come alive. The voice is distorted, but it is Will. Joyce gasps. Will! Yes, it's me. It's me. Electricity spiking, crackling, buzzing, a creature making clicking sounds. Where are you? Where are you? Just talk to me. The lights get brighter than dim. Bolts of electric current shoot out of the receiver. It shocks Joyce, literally and figuratively. She screams and drops the receiver. Oh, no, 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 no. The phone's dead. The receiver's blackened by the electrical current. No, no, no. Joyce is still screaming and crying and sobbing and shouting no. Joyce walks down the hall, heading to Jonathan's room. The lights flicker again. Jonathan! Joyce stops noticing a power a pattern to the flickering lights. What? The lights are flickering rapidly, on and off. Unsure of what exactly is happening, Joyce stays close to the wall 
as she makes her way to Jonathan's room. A blast of music and Joyce gasps. The music is coming from Will's bedroom. Will's favorite song, Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. The door is closed, but through the, clack, the cracks we can see lights flickering. We can hear electricity buzzing with each flicker. The music continues. It's so loud. Joyce is frightened, sobbing. She musters the courage and, op- and approaches the door. She turns the knob, opens the door. She slowly walks into the Will's room. Will? There's a boombox on Will's desk. A desk lamp lights the immediate area. The mixtape Jonathan made for Will is playing on the boombox. The red LEDs of the boombox are flashing in time with the music. Joyce looks over to a bedside table. A lamp is on. It's flickering intermittently. Joyce approaches the lamp. Will, is that you? With that question comes the answer. The light's brighten. Brighter than it's ever been before. The whole room is lit. Bright. Then with a fizzle. Lights out. Music stops. Quiet. The silence lasts but a few moments. Then the wall beside the lamp is stretching out like rubber. A face. Then hands try to reach out and break through the rubber wall. A growl. Joyce screams and runs out of the room. Joyce dashes out of the front door, never looking back. She jumps into her car. She fumbles with the keys, starts the car. And at that very moment, the music resumes. Joyce looks to Will's bedroom. She can see through the window. The lights are flickering. Electricity crackles. Will? She's unsure about what to do. Should I stay or should I go? She kills the engine, takes a deep breath, and gets out of the car. Joyce slowly makes her way to the front door, walking almost in a zombie-like state as the music continues. The lights in Will's bedroom flicker. Only the lights in in Will's bedroom. She makes it through the door, opens it, steps inside. Interior, Harrington home, living room. Carol, Steve, Tommy, and Nancy have wrapped themselves in towels. They're dripping wet. I'm freezing. Tommy, the class act that he is. Well, I hear his mom's room has a fireplace. Are you kidding me? Carol and Tommy met their way upstairs, ignoring Steve. Okay, well, you know you are cleaning the sheets. Steve walks over to Nancy. You alright? Yeah. Yeah, come on, let's get you some dry clothes. Nancy pauses a moment, then follows Steve out of the room. Steve makes his way up the stairs. Nancy is a few steps behind. Barb comes out of the bathroom. Nancy stops halfway up. Nance? Nancy, where are you going? Nowhere, just upstairs to change. I fell in the pool. Barb shakes her head, part disgust, part disbelief. Why don't you go ahead and go home? I'll just, I'll get a ride or something. Nance? No matter how angry Barb might be right now, she doesn't want to leave Nancy alone with Steve. Barb, I'm fine. This isn't you. I'm fine. Just go ahead and go home, okay? Not waiting for an answer. Nancy turns and walks up the stairs. Barb stands at the bottom of the steps. She scoffs. Point of view of Jonathan's camera. We can see Nancy through the blinds of an upstairs bedroom. Shutter clicks. She's staring out the window at nothing in particular. Behind the camera... Jonathan snaps a picture. 
Nancy is staring at the window. She's still dressed in wet clothes. Steve comes in the room and hands Nancy some dry clothes. Thanks. They smile at each other. Steve is almost in a trance-like state. Love. Steve is actually being a gentleman. Or so he thinks. Um, some privacy maybe? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry. Steve walks away. Steve? He turns. Nancy takes off her work shirt. Damn. <laughs> Shut up. They embrace and kiss. Jonathan lowers the camera. He saw everything. For just a moment, he considers leaving, but he spots Barb sitting on the edge of the diving board in the backyard. Her feet are in the pool. He snaps a picture, then another. End of roll. Jonathan winds the film back and, and prepares to load another roll of film. Barb didn't leave. She's sitting on the edge of the diving board, her feet dangling in the water. She's lost in thought. Her thumb is bandaged, but not well enough. A single drop of blood drips into the pool. Barb looks at her bloody bandage. Then the pool lights flicker, then darkness. Just then, we see a large shadow cover Barb in complete darkness. She tur quickly turns her head. Growl. We can hear Barb's distant scream. Jonathan looks up from his camera. We see the backyard, but no Barb. He takes a final look at his surroundings from where he is standing. Then walks in the opposite direction, heading back from Markwood to his car. Steve and Nancy are making out, standing by the window. They move to the bed. The kissing is tender. The pool lights flicker on. No sign of Barb. No trace of, of blood. Nothing left behind. Then we cut to black. End credits. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed um, this script reading. Again, this is probably this is one of my favorite episodes from season one. Um, until we get to the episode uh, where Brenner is after 11 and Mike says, you know, if anyone's asked, I've left the country. Hopefully I can read, read that. I'll try to read that one soon for you guys. But again, I want to thank Anna um, for requesting this, uh, this script reading. And, uh, if anyone, if you have a request for any type of podcast episode you would like me to talk about, it could be a script reading or it could be if any topic, you know, stranger things, what have you, that you would like me to hear, please reach out to me. Let me know, uh, on my Instagram at ham radio podcast. You can DM me there. Um, you can email me at through the ham radio podcast at gmail.com, which is where Anna emailed me and, and I will happily, um, take your request and I will happily record an episode of the topic that you would like. Um, I, I love taking requests. Um, sometimes taking a request can actually be better than, than me, um, you know, thinking of episodes to record on my own. You know, because even I run out of things to talk about, uh, you know, for, for the show. So, yeah, anytime you you like, you have a request or something you would like to hear uh, me talk about, please, again, please reach out to me. Let me know. And uh, so, yeah, um, also one last thing before uh, we get out of here. Um, no episode uh, next Friday, the 26th, an observant of... Um, thanksgiving holiday 
Um, but we'll be back on December 3rd, Friday, December 3rd. And again, hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, over and out.